a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is the Past Lives Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Bound. My mission here at the Past Lives Podcast is to investigate evidence that demonstrates survival of the human soul. We look at past life memories, near-death experiences, spirit communication, and other incredible phenomena. To get access to the extended versions of the episodes, you can join the Past Lives Podcast Patreon campaign. And when you sign up for $5 a month, you get an extended episode every week. And for $2 a month, you get an extended episode every month. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash pastlivespodcast. Or click on the Patreon button on my homepage at pastlivesypnosis.co.uk. Also, when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you're a patron, you get a 25% discount. And I'm offering a free consultation call, which can be booked on my website. This week, I'm talking to Natalie Sudman about her book, Application of Impossible Things, My Near-Death Experience in Iraq. Natalie was working as a female civilian employee of the Army Corps of Engineers in Basra and Nasiriya, Iraq. She was riding in the back of a land cruiser when a roadside bomb destroyed the vehicle. As a result of the severe injuries her body received from this roadside bomb, Natalie had a near-death experience where she left her body and entered a spiritual world. Hi Natalie, thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. Hi Simon, thank you for having me, this is great. So I wanted to talk to you because your book was so interesting and your near-death experience and the way you describe it in the book is so detailed and I haven't come across this before. Um, but you were in Iraq. Could you tell us how you ended up in Iraq and how this, how that all came about? Yeah, um, I was working for a federal agency and the Corps of Engineers, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, asked for um, volunteers to come down and help with Hurricane Katrina cleanup down in Louisiana and Georgia. And so I volunteered for that a couple of times spent two and a half or three months down there. And through the contacts that I made down there, someone called me and asked me if I wanted to go work in Iraq. And without thinking, I said, sure. And then hung up the phone and went, oh, (laughs) do I really want to do this? (laughs) But at that point, I was curious and I thought, well, I'll just go and see what happens. Um, So that's kind of how I ended up over there. Um, and I went over for, uh, originally for six months and then I just really liked working over there. So I just extended the amount of time. So I ended up over there for almost a year and a half. You went out on a a working day, didn't you? And it was on the way back from a full day's work that the NDE happened. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was administering, managing some construction contracts. And that day we were out uh, visiting some of those construction contracts. I was, there was a guy with me who was fairly new and there were a couple of uh, Navy people with me who were kind of did the same kind of job that I did and were checking on the projects as well. So there were four of us um, who who were actual employees of the U S army Corps of engineers. And we were in a convoy of four vehicles that day. Uh, the front vehicle was all 
personal security. Um, the, we were, I think, I think I was in the second vehicle. No, I was in the third vehicle. The second vehicle had the two, um, Navy guys in it plus their driver and guard. And then my vehicle had me and my friend and the driver and guard. And then there was a gun truck behind us. And that day we actually had an Iraqi police escort as well, because that, um, that province had been turned over to the Iraqis for governments. And that, that was always a little bit problematic. There were a lot of, um, there were a lot of people in the Iraqi police who did not appreciate the American army being over there. So, um, that sort of added another level of uh, danger or, um, at least vulnerability. Uh, In any case, we were out checking sites all that day. And on our way back to base, after checking all the sites, our vehicle was hit with a roadside bomb. And, um, yeah, that's when my, I went out of body or had a near death experience. What was your awareness of the explosion? I think you described it in the book as it was just like you heard a champagne cork popping. Yeah, actually, um, I was, when it went off, I was kind of half asleep. It's very boring driving in the back of a, a land cruiser <laughs> actually. Um, and so, um, I was kind of half asleep. I had my arm, my elbow up on the windowsill and my ha- head kind of resting on my arm with my eyes closed. And um, when the bomb went off, I, I don't remember that at all. There was no sound. There was no nothing. I was in the truck and then I was not in the truck. I was um, somewhere else. That champagne pop happened when I came back into my body. And um, I guess a lot of people who have had out-of-body experiences, I'm not sure about NDEs, but um, they have experienced that same sort of popping sound, which is interesting to me. But um, yeah, leaving my body, there was, there was no, there was just no transition at all. There was no sound. There was no nothing. I was just, I was in my body and then I was not. I was standing. I'll just kind of, I guess, go into that. Um, I was standing in front of thousands of beings, kind of standing on this um, oval little stage. And I knew exactly what I was. I knew exactly what I was doing. I wasn't disoriented at all. I, I knew exactly what was going on. So you didn't have that kind of classic idea of a near-death experience where they say you floated over your body and then you went through a tunnel of light? I did not have any of that. And, you know, people have asked me about that. I don't know what to say about that. Maybe maybe I had it and I edited it out because it's not interesting. Or maybe that is sort of a, um, uh, like a, a communal language that um, that kind of um, forms in in the conscience of humanity or or in the mind of humanity and gives people gives people a kind of language to translate their experience. I don't know, or maybe I didn't have a near death experience. Maybe I had an out of body experience. I don't know, um, but I did not. You're right. I did not experience hovering over the scene at that point I did when I came back into my body, which we can talk about later. And then, um, I, I didn't experience any kind of tunnel of light. I call it blinking. I was, I was in the truck and then blink. I was not in the truck. So you were standing on this dais surrounded Mm -hmm. by these uh, personalities, you call them. They're like, I suppose, are they like entities or spirits or souls? Are that, is that who they were? Yeah, um, it's hard to know what kind of language to use. I think that we're not always very specific in our definitions of these things. But I, I perceived them as other discrete beings, um, just like the same way that we would recognize a person. I recognize these beings as personalities or, or people, in a sense. Um, and I think that I think I think I talk about this in the book that that I sort of saw them as light light beings made of light 
um, in the shape of humans, but that when I revisit this experience, I can change the way they look. So I think that I probably perceived them in that way because it was comfortable, easy. It wasn't a distraction. Um, I think I could just as easily perceive them as little globes of light or as little monsters or it, it wouldn't matter what they look like. Doesn't, I think what they looked like had more to do with my perception than their actual form, if that makes sense. Was it intimidating? I, I would imagine it's, you know, all I know from having that sort of thing or seeing something like that is science fiction movies and they, they can <laughs> be scary, but was it scary at all? Was it intimidating? It was not at all intimidating. Um, when I look back at it, I think, wow, because I am terrified of standing up in front of people and speaking. I, it makes me really sick. And, um, and yet there I was completely comfortable. I knew it's like I, I knew how, what I was doing. I knew how to do this. Um, I knew what was going on. And so there was no fear at all in any form. Um, I think that really throughout my whole experience out of my body, there was never any fear at all. It was all very, very comfortable and very, it, it, it's, a, it's a comfort level that's really deep. Like imagine that, you, um, that you're around your best friends who have known you forever and that you are in a landscape or an environment or something that you feel very, very comfortable in. It feels like you belong there. That's what it felt like. It felt like I belonged there. So did you feel like you've done this before, but you just didn't remember it? I think I must have because it was so familiar. Yeah, I think I probably, I don't know how to describe that. You know, that it's kind of time is very different in that environment. And I'm not even sure how to describe that. It's not that there's no time. It's just that time is different. It's like a, it's like a different part of the field of time. And so you perceive it differently. And so in a sense, I could, I could say that even now, even here, while I am having this experience in this world, I may at the same time also still be doing that, or I may go back to that dais and and do what I was doing, downloading information to these beings. I may do that frequently. I I don't remember it, but it just yeah, it's very familiar. And how many personalities were there? Oh you know, I don't I would say a thousand, a couple thousand. There were a lot. A lot. And you kind of described them the you knew them all intimately and you could communicate with each one, but all at the same time. Yes. Yeah, I could communicate with all of them or I could kind of focus in on any one of them. And they all seemed intimately familiar. Maybe some of them more familiar than others, but all of them I knew. And um, I think that that's kind of overwhelming to our human mind. And yet... I think that there are equivalents. So um, maybe on smaller scales. So if you imagine um, if you had your whole extended family together, um, maybe you have um, brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents, and they all have their kids. And, and you, you may know each one of them and they may feel intimate because there's something about them that you recognize as family, whether it's some energy imprint or something in their face or just kind of knowing in the back of your mind, those connections, you know that you belong with this family and, and imagine sort of standing in front of all those people and you could take them in as a whole, but you could also kind of zoom in on each one and, and know kind of a gestalt um, knowing about each of those people. You wouldn't kind of go through your whole list of everything you know about that person, but you have this kind of gestalt feeling of, of that person, what that person is about and what that person feels like to you and how you relate to that person. So this was just on a really expanded level that I was doing that. I could take in instead of, you know, 
30 or 40 beings. I could take in thousands of beings and also um, kind of uh, communicate with them or, or download this information to them as, as a whole group as well. Did you feel that they had ever been humans? You know, I didn't really check. I didn't really pay any attention to that at the time, but I've kind of gone back into that experience. And I think that some of them had and or have, and some of them have not. Some of them feel like a very different kind of consciousness. So um, if you can imagine that, for instance, um, um, oak trees had a consciousness, <laughs> then, um, and that you met that consciousness. It, it might be very different from a consciousness of someone who had had human experience or someone who was, who was kind of focused into a human experience. It would, it might be a, a different kind of um, attention and a different kind of communication, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's not conscious or it doesn't mean that you can't communicate. I think that, and that's just an example. I don't necessarily mean that one of those beings was oak trees. I'm just trying to think of a, a parallel of some kind. And I think that, um, uh, some of those conscious, like right now when I'm kind of, kind of focusing, going back into this, I keep I keep kind of being drawn to this being, this little group of beings in that group who had a very sort of engineering kind of consciousness, a very, um, very organized, very um, not not just linear because it's it's multidimensional, but it, it ha it's the equivalent of a linear kind of intelligence um, where everything has a place and an, uh, a, a sort of system of organization, which, which can be very different from um, human creativity, um, which can be um, much more creative, much more freeform, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think so. And so you also say that they seem to admire you. Is this because it was like you've had a life on earth and it's like, well, you've gone to a really hard place. Yeah, I think it was partly that and partly like, wow, you really, uh, you really picked a, a dramatic way to do that. <laughs> and, um, you know, getting myself blown up. Um, it, it felt like what I had done had layers of impact and those layers of impact were, um, were valuable in some way to this group. Um, and so there was kind of admiration and gratitude, which I found kind of hilarious because I felt like, well, I'm just doing what I do. That's just what I do. So, um, it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily mean anything to me. It'd be like someone saying, wow, you can really use a fork well. And we're like, yeah, well, we use forks every day, big deal, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, that's how it felt to me. But, you know, it's always nice to get a little admiration too. <laughs> <laughs> you also talk about you communicated a complex matrix to them. And this, this sounded... Um really a tricky thing to do but you also made it sound like it was done in an instant and it was done quite easily yeah it was i think that we are used to describing thought um as as um linear a linear process um because we translate thoughts into words so um but really thought is instantaneous and complete. And I think that, I think that most thought, if not all thought is, is that it is instantaneous and complete. And then we unpack it into, um, into words or, or we, we translate it into words, um, to put it out there and communicate. But what if we could communicate that whole thought as, as one 
as one packet, in a sense, and just give that to someone else as a whole, as a whole thing um, with depth, with all the depth and detail. What if we could transfer a gestalt, you know, so if we look at another person, we don't, we don't recognize them by, by consciously listing all their attributes and all the memories we have with them and all of their physical characteristics. We don't do that. We have, we have this instantaneous recognition, boom, that happens in our minds. It's, it's a single it's a single packet of information. And I think that that, that is what gets, gets shared. It's not necessary, you know, telepathy sounds again, like we are sort of, um, we're, we're translating words or we're talking silently to each other, but really, um, what this communication is, is instantaneous sharing of um, those kinds of complete packets of information, if that makes sense. Hello, listeners, this is Simon. Now, some of you know I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy, and I'm certified in past life regression therapy. And in the past few weeks, I've taken many clients through some amazing and healing past life regressions. And I conduct sessions over Zoom, and I've had clients from many countries around the world. Now, when you go through a past life regression, you will feel totally in control and remember everything. And also, I record the whole session and send you an MP3 afterwards. And this gives you space to relax and go with the flow, knowing that you can listen back later and analyse what you experienced if you need to. So if you ever wanted to explore your past lives in a single session, or have an issue you want to work on, you can go to my website at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk and book a free 20-minute consultation. And at the moment, I'm offering a 25% discount to everyone that has signed up to the Patreon campaign. The link is in the show notes. And in this communication, did you feel that, that you were... It's like you're not able to hide anything, that they knew you absolutely and you knew them and there was no secrets, no hidden thoughts or motives. Yeah, that's true. That's a good observation. I didn't really think of it in that way. But yeah, it's true. There were no secrets. Um, and, and it didn't matter. I mean, you, what would you want to hide anyway there? Because you are, you are your very essence. That's what it felt like. I was my very essence. And there's nothing to hide in my essence. Because in my essence, I am complete. I am perfect. I am, I am, um, I just am my, I just am. There's no judgment. There's no, uh, there's no criticism. Everybody just is who they are. And that's recognized as legitimate, valuable, yeah. There wouldn't be anything to hide. There wouldn't be any reason to hide. You know, you don't, um, I think that a lot of, a lot of our desire for privacy or, or our, um, maybe our anxiety about revealing everything about ourselves is a very, that's a very human thing. That's a very sort of small self, human personality, mind kind of thing um, that has to do with how we have set ourselves up socially and um, culturally. And when you go sort of into the very core of yourself, all that stuff falls away. You just don't, it doesn't matter. You realize that, um, you realize that you are, this complete being that that you belong to yourself and you belong in the the infinite um, creative world, creative uh, all that is. And in knowing that a lot of the you know all that sort of personalities, cultural stuff of socially getting on with people or something is it's moot. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's, it, it's, it's not like 
you fight through it or you release it. It just, it's like lifting yourself from the floor to, to the roof and you get a whole different view of things. And so it's, um, it, it, you leave something behind or, or it just, it doesn't even have any kind of relevance to you anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. You say in the book, you supplied the matrix in fulfillment of a request made by them before you were born, which in some ways suggests uh, to me reincarnation. But did that, is that how it felt to you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It felt like I'd been here a lot of different times and, um, I think that that can be understood in different ways, depending upon what perspective you're looking at something from. So, um, so I can, I can perceive it from, let's say that blink environment and say that, yes, I, as a whole being have, have incarnated into human bodies many, many times. And, and, that doesn't mean that I bring the same attributes or the same personality into each of those beings, each of those incarnations. I may have a little bit different personality in each of those because the personality is like a, um, a little collection of attributes that I choose to take with me into that incarnation in order to uh, use them for whatever I'm exploring in that incarnation. Um, but it's almost like, um, I've described it. If you think of a bicycle wheel and I as a whole self and the, and the bicycle wheel, the whole thing, and each of my incarnations is one of the spokes. And so each of those spokes is, is part of the whole, but it's not necessarily all of the whole. Um, and it's intrinsic to the whole, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, yeah, it isn't the whole. And so I think also people have said to me, well, I don't want to lose this personality. I don't want to, you know, lose my sense of self, but you don't lose your sense of self. You be, you feel like you become more yourself, not less yourself. That's my experience anyway with that whole self that I experienced in the blink environment. And I suppose with that wheel, having all those spokes, they're all there at the same time. So does that right. wheel mean that it's experiencing all of the lives in the same moment? Yeah. From, from, yeah, again, sort of from what perspective do you look at it? You know? Um, so if you, if you go to the perspective of the wheel, yes, those would all be happening at the same time. And then that whole self um, can, can move its focus of attention to any one of those spokes or all of them at once. And we say, oh, how is that even possible? You know, because we can't necessarily conceive of that. But imagine standing in front of uh, an audience of all colleagues and friends and you are you are speaking in front of this group you're you're speaking in front of this group you're paying attention to your body language you're paying attention to the, the words in your tone of voice that you're using and you're recognizing people out in the audience and say someone comes in a back door you're aware of that you are actually aware of a lot more things than you know you are and as a whole self you can just that's expanded. That's hugely expanded. So you can, you can focus on many, many more things than, than is even maybe conceivable to the human mind. But yeah. And then, you know, you can go further out than that and, and go to the place where say you're just standing outside of the perception that everything is one. And that imagine that you're standing sort of on a bridge between so that you can see, you can, you can see that everything is one and you can see the individuation. So you're looking at the flock of birds, but you can also make out each bird. And, um, and it may, it, from that perspective, you can go back and forth and say, oh, um, all those other lifetimes were 
were mine, but also everyone else's lifetimes were also mine. And then you can go back to sort of perceiving the individuation and say, oh, all of these lifetimes were mine and all of those lifetimes were theirs. You know, um, it all just really depends on where you are perceiving from. So um, it's not, is it this or is it that? What if it is both this and that at the same time? We in the West are not necessarily trained to think that way. Maybe some of the Eastern cultures are more comfortable um, um, sitting in a paradox. And, um, but, but I think it's, it's almost imperative to allow yourself to begin to ponder those kinds of, um, uh, erasures of duality in order to, um, really, uh, understand perspectives available to us from uh, in expanded awareness. So when you're in that space and you're on that dais with all those personalities around you and you've got this incredible perception that's really different to your human perception, so to speak, did this come to you quite easily? Because it sounds like it could be quite overwhelming. It, yeah, it, it sounds like it should have been and it wasn't. I just I knew what I was doing. It felt like I was home. So it felt very natural There was no strain. Um, You know, I didn't think about this when I was there. This kind of unpacking of that happened when I began to write the book because I I felt like I I need to describe this experience in a way that other people will understand it, that other people, so I can give other people a taste of this. At the time, I was just doing it. I wasn't thinking about it. It didn't seem odd or difficult or anything. I just was doing it. So the next thing is that you kind of said, look, I, I'm tired. I don't want to go back <laughs> to this earth life. But they, they wanted you to come back. Yeah, I just said I wasn't going to go back. That it was, I was tired and I had done whatever I wanted to do. And now I was, yeah, I was done. Um, and they said, well, what if, you what if you went back and did this xyz and i went oh that sounds interesting i'll go back and do that <laughs> so kind of the same way that I ended up in iraq <laughs> just saying yes and then hanging up the phone and going oh what have i just done i kind of jumped on it and i don't remember all the things that they laid out for me but i kind of deliberately don't talk about that in my book as well because those are my things and I think all of us have things that we're doing. And um, and we're kind of, again, enculturated. We're trained to kind of always compare ourselves to other people. Oh, is that more important than what I'm doing? Is that better than what I'm doing? Is that harder than what I'm doing or easier? And it doesn't matter. There's no comparison. I'm doing some things and you're doing some things. And you're doing some other things and you're doing some other things. And so whatever I'm doing is kind of my business What's important in in that is that we're all doing something. We're all we're all doing things that that have to do with and contribute to the whole, the one. When you're saying contribute to the one, who or what is the one? Is that like some people will call it God or the source? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I. I call it the all that is because it includes all that is everything, every, every, everything that exists. Um, and the way I perceived it is, I guess, I guess I perceive it as a force and does it have a consciousness? I guess I can perceive it as having a consciousness, but, um, it's more, um, the shared beingness or the shared creative uh, source of everything that exists. We participate in it. It participates through us. We create it. It creates us. So it's not, um, you don't have a religious point of view for it then. You don't see it as some great big God that's, I don't know, like a big guy with a long white beard. It's not an individual, so to speak. It's more 
cosmic? Yeah, I don't perceive it that way. I really, maybe the closest description that, um, that I've come upon is, I think it's in the Jewish faith where they say, as soon as you describe God, you have limited God. There is, it's the great mystery. I mean, I think, I think that it's so much more than we can even sort of conceive of with our, our um, limit, limited conceptual enculturation right now. I think that it's sort of, and I think that's true that no matter how, no matter what kind of definition we put upon it, we have, we, we're placing our own limits upon it. The infinity is infinite. And we, we almost can't even conceive of that, right? But this is, this is an infinite flow. This is an infinite creativity. How do we even really conceive of that? I don't know. And so uh, they asked you to return, but then they said you could go somewhere to recharge. And you, so you're in the blink environment, and then you move to another environment. Yeah, they actually didn't tell me I could do that. Um, I was, throughout this whole experience, I am the authority in everything that I'm doing. Nobody made me do anything. Nobody told me to go anywhere or anything. Um, they proposed, hey, do you want to do this? And I went, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> and then when we were kind of finished um, communicating about that, yes, I blinked to another place that I call the deep rest environment. And this was, in this environment, I don't really um, perceive that I had, I didn't have a human form, certainly. And the form that I have, it's almost like I was just an organization of energy. I don't necessarily feel like I even had anything visual that we would call visual, um, any kind of form like that. It, I was an organization of energy. And at first, these two other beings or organizations of energy were with me, and I feel like they were sort of tinkering with, with the organization of my energy, as if they were kind of fixing things up and replacing a few wires and whatever, <laughs> fixing the timing. Um, and um, we didn't even interact. We didn't communicate in any way. I felt like they were sort of just little medics doing some tinkering. And then when they were finished, they just left. And, and this, in this area, I, I had, I guess my version of, of a life review, I don't call it that. Um, I did sort of, but it was sort of like paging through my life. It wasn't like my life flashing before my eyes. It was more like my own leisurely kind of wander down memory lane, thinking about what I had experienced in this lifetime and, and looking at how my experiences affected other other situations or people or whatever. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't judging them really. I wasn't saying, Ooh, that was good. And that was bad. Or I wasn't, you know, people talk about, Oh, I felt all the pain that I'd caused to other people. I didn't, I didn't feel that. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't have anything to do with that. It, my review or my kind of stroll down memory lane had to do with um, noting places in my life where things had turned out differently than I had anticipated, or um, looking at looking at juxtapositions of things that I had not noticed or or never considered before. And so I was interested in those kinds of things, and I was also interested in. Um, in fun, whether something was fun or not. And when I say fun, I don't just mean our idea of, oh, you know, margaritas on the beach with our best friends, you know, whatever. Um, sometimes our hardest work can be the most fun, right? Um, and so I'm including that kind of thing in, in the word fun. But it mattered to me 
whether something was fun and whether something um, turned out in a surprising way or um, or whether the the sort of juxtapositions of things um, created something that I had not anticipated. Um, and then when I was kind of finished doing that and noting those things, then I just went into this deep, deep uh, rest. It really, I, it, it was almost like if you close your eyes and go, put your attention into yourself and just go deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself. At some point it, it, it almost feels like you turn inside out and you, you, you kind of turn into this infinite black space that is just velvety, delicious, deeply, deeply comfortable and deeply, deeply restful and rejuvenating. And I spent I don't know how long I spent there. There was no time there. And I can't really tell how long I was there, but, but that was a really delicious kind of part of this experience. Yeah. Cause you say in the book that this state lasted centuries within less than a moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have no idea. I can, I can almost go into that now and, I, and I, I feel myself losing time, just, just stepping outside of time so that it, it feels like centuries and centuries, and yet I can come back out and it, only a moment has passed. You asked them to give you assistance when you came back and you agreed on areas where they would help you with your life. Yeah, yeah. When I came out of that um, rest state, I kind of blinked back to that stadium of thousands of beings and just for a few moments and, and kind of communicated with them, um, discussed with them, some of the it, it's almost like um, looking at something from a managerial point of view, kind of the overview, um, you know, what kind of help could they give me? What what are some of the what are some of the logistical problems I might run into on some of these things um, that I had agreed to do? And and later, which I'll talk about probably, but in a later part of the experience where I'm actually back down on the ground and talking with some other people that was more like talk discussing the same kinds of logistical things, but from the point of view of the people on the ground, you know, not the construction contractor or manager, but now um, discussing things with the other um, beings who know what it's like to be pounding the nails. You know, there are different kinds of logistical things that you're going to run into from those two different perspectives. Are they around you in your life now? Would you be aware of them if they were there to give you assistance? Um, yeah, I feel sometimes I feel, feel them around me. Um, and I can, t I can tune back into that, that stadium of beings and communicate with them now yes yeah that makes, kind of makes it sound like the when you were there during the near-death experience as you were saying it was kind of timeless so that thing of you standing on the dais is existing in all time so you could just pop back to it anytime you like right that's what it seems like yes mm-hmm so when you had done that, then you moved to another environment where you could see your body. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. In this environment, um, which I call the healing environment, I'm I am with two other beings. One of them feels very, very familiar, like we're really old buddies, and this other one is not necessarily so familiar. Maybe watching what we're doing, maybe learning from what we're doing or something. And what we're doing, we're kind of we're looking down on the scene of the blown up truck and the four of us in the truck. And it's kind of like looking down at a 45 degree angle from maybe a hundred, 150 feet up in the air, looking down at this desert scene. And from this perspective, we can see the blown up truck. We can see the desert and things around it. And we can see our four bodies in the truck and we can see all of that, all of those things as organizations of energy. So we can see my body as an organization of energy, not just as a, as we perceive it, a solid. Um, and from that perspective, what we started to do is 
kind of the equivalent of we would do the equivalent of waving a hand across a screen and we would change my injuries. So we would kind of do the equivalent of waving a hand and, and sever my right arm or, um, or put some shrapnel in my brain. And, and, and as soon as we set whatever injuries we set in that wave of the hand, we would immediately see my whole life in a flash. Um, so we would see all the challenges that, that those injuries would provide. And from that perspective, from that whole self perspective, creating the injuries, we thought they were hilarious. And I understand it's not funny from our point of view. It's not funny from a personality conscious mind point of view, but from that point of view, it was understood that these, these injuries that we were creating were part of a larger scheme. They were part of a larger plan and that they would serve me in placing me in order to experience and, and explore the things that I had um, agreed to do for them and for myself. So, um, so we would wave a hand and put shrapnel in my brain and then we would fall down laughing about, about how that would create these cognitive difficulties throughout the rest of my life. And, and we did that for a little while. We we're playing around to different injuries. And finally, like, okay, quit fooling around and just set the ones that you want. So wave the hand and I set the injuries that I wanted in my body that would serve me in, in doing the work that I had agreed to do. Well, it's interesting to hear you talking about it like that because I've heard so many near-death experiences described and it's always seemed so serious but it just sounded like you were having fun and you, you describe it in the book as goofing off we were we were goofing off we were having a ball we were really laughing hard we it was really really fun and i think that um really you know there a lot of this um experience was not that serious um and i think that um I think laughter is a huge, huge part of the sacred. It's very healing. And when we lighten up energetically, we're able to move energy around much more easily. When we're serious and we're, we take ourselves so seriously, it can really lock energies down. It can really kind of bog things down. If you can lighten things up, you might be surprised at, um, at how easily things begin to move. Yeah. And so do you feel that anybody could access this sort of healing if they could get into the right spiritual framework? You know, I don't know. People, other people have asked me and I, I feel like every once in a while, I, I can hit the sweet spot. Like I, I just get myself back there somehow or, or to an equivalent spot and do the equivalent of waving a hand and just go Ch change <laughs> and, and it works. But I, I certainly can't get myself back there at will. And, um, I think it's available. I just think that I am not adept at doing it. I think there are probably people all over the world who can do that. Um, I think that, um, Probably, you know, people that we describe as faith healers get themselves into that place. Um, a, a friend of mine's father described uh, a, a healing, an instantaneous healing of some, you know, some serious um, physical symptoms that he had had for many, many years. And so I think that those that kind of healing is available. I just, yeah, personally, I wish I could access it all the time, but I can't. So was it from there that you returned to the physical? From there, um, there was sort of one more stage. I, as soon as we had set those injuries in my body, I blinked again and, and then I was down next to the truck. So 
if you imagine a kind of um, a twilight zone scene where nothing nothing in that scene is moving except me and about eight other beings who are with me. And we're standing next to the truck and we're discussing, here's where we were discussing things from sort of the ground level, you know, the guys, the, the, the crew wielding the hammer, um, things are going to look different once you get back in the body. And, and these beings understood that we were discussing some of those logistics. And then when we were done discussing that, that's when I popped back into my body. And that's when I heard that pop like a champagne cork coming back into my body. Just before you went back into your body and you with those other personalities, if somebody else in one of the other vehicles had been killed, do you think you would have seen their spiritual being? One of the people in my vehicle was killed. And if I saw him, I don't remember it. I have since seen him, but, um, but I didn't at the time, or, I, or at least I didn't remember it. So he, he came to visit you, did he, or something? I went into kind of a deep meditation and I asked if I could, if I could meet him. How long do you feel you were in the spiritual plane? And then how long did that last in the physical? Well, in the spiritual, I mean, I feel like I don't have any way to judge how long I was there. Sort of um, from, because, you know, there's there's places in there like the depressed environment that felt like forever. But when I popped back into my body, the vehicle was still rolling down the road. So it couldn't have been more than a couple seconds that I was out in physical time. And you say that you can revisit that, you can go back and you can look at it again and you can change certain things about it. Like you were saying, you could change the personalities so they did look human. But then there are other parts of the experience you can't change. Yes. Yeah, um, going back into things is not, it's not difficult. I mean, really, um, we can go back into memories in the same way, memories of experiences that we've had here in the physical world. And, but really, when you're talking no time, I think, as you mentioned, that I can go back into these experiences and actually be in those experiences and or I have gone back into them sort of using that time as 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 the way in and then discussed other things with some of these beings anyway um that's sort of one aspect of that there's a thing you'd say when you talk about the bombing and this is what it says in the book it was an event that myself cooperatively created and agreed to for myself the event was and is meaningful creative and fun so right. what, what did you mean by that? Well, again, fun um, in this in the broader sense that um, you know sometimes very difficult things can be fun, or but um, really that that all requires requires a perspective of the whole self. You know, from from this perspective of a personality self, if if I think that I didn't create that experience, I'm going to think about that experience in a very different way, right? I'm going to feel like a victim of that experience. I'm going to say, oh, those evil people blew me up, and um, that that whole mess was not my fault, and blah blah blah. Well, if I, from a whole self perspective, I can't have an experience that I did not agree to. It just as far as I can tell, it's not possible. So, um, and, and certainly, you know, through, through some of the things I've described, it's very clear that I chose a lot, very deliberately. I chose my, if nothing else, I very deliberately chose my injuries. Well, that changes my whole outlook about my injuries, right? If I chose these injuries, then dealing with them becomes a very different 
kind of thing than if I think that I've been a victim of something. And, and I really, um, when I was out of my body, when I was, um, in it, certainly in the blink environment, that first environment with the, with the stadium of beings, it was very clear to me that I, that I participated in crafting that whole incident. It wasn't all, all me, but I crafted my part of it. And, um, and I did it for various valuable reasons. And, and when, you know, when, when we think about that as human personalities, we might go, well, that's, that's, I can't even wrap my head around that. Why would you ever do something like that? Why would you hurt yourself? But, but imagine that you are, that you're planning, you're writing a movie. And, and in that movie, you, you make these people's lives really difficult and you kill off these people and you have this great chase scene and, you know, you, you make it action filled and we go to the movies and we go, Oh wow, that was a really good movie. Um, and we know that it's not real. We know that those actors really didn't die that everybody gets up and walks away at the end of the movie. That And that, from a whole self perspective, that is what our lives look like. We know that we're not really hurting anyone. We know that we're not really hurting ourselves. We know that we are, we are creating a story. We're creating experiences um, that help us to explore something or some things and that those experiences are valuable in some way. Does that make sense from yeah, that? Yeah, it's it's uh, having a, a soulful cosmic viewpoint of the life and right. how it's, it's like that reincarnation thing. They say you, you experience a life to learn something. Right. And so that your experience has taught you something, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So could it have been part of um, the plan of your life from before you were born? Or, or there was some kind of thing you thought, well, something like this is going to happen? I didn't really get that from my experience. I, I think what, it feel, what feels more accurate for me is that, um, is that I, before I took on this body, I sort of gave myself some broad outlines, um, like the environment, the family, um, what country, things like that. And, and I allowed myself a lot of leeway to create once I got the body or in a sense to co-create with this personality and my whole self and see where it went and see what was available and kind of create as I go. And I think a lot of us do that. There's a lot of talk about contracts and that we plan our whole lives before we take the body but in my experience, that's not what I'm shown. What I'm shown is that some people plan more and some people plan less, um, but that we still have agency to change that once we get the body um, because we have free will and um, that we are very much creators of our experience even after we've, even now, even as we kind of walk through this experience. So it's kind of like your your whole self is the wheel looking down on that one spoke and deciding on changes for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as the spoke, I also have agency. I think I also have choice. I think I also have um, free will. It's It becomes easier when I know that I am more than my physical body and I know that I'm more than this physical personality mind, it becomes easier to sometimes surrender um, that kind of control to that higher self. Just say, I don't know what, what the heck's going on here, but I'll hop in the back seat and let my higher self kind of drive the car. And when we get there, I'll, I'll do what's put in front of me and trust that. Um, there's, there's kind of, you know, maybe a balance between creating and, and allowing. How was your perception when it was all happening? Cause I've heard other people have near death experience. They say it's like a hyper perception. It's more real than normal life. Was that what it was like for you? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely more real. It's still so vivid, way more vivid than than any memories of this lifetime. It feels like I'm more myself. 
it felt like I was more myself when I was out of body. So yeah, very much more vivid, very much more detailed, much more um, sort of deeper into my senses. All the senses were maybe more awake, more lively, um, and, and more delicious. I mean, they all felt better <laughs> than they than they maybe do here less limited in some way so uh, my last question there's a picture of you on the book with president bush how, how was that meeting <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah okay so i i didn't i didn't have any kind of agreement with the war itself i didn't i thought it was i thought it was illegal i thought it was a bad decision um i didn't like Bush. And so when I got blown up and I was at Walter Reed, I woke up one, one morning at about two o'clock in the morning and there was, there were nurses scrubbing the baseboards of my room. And I said, what are you doing at two thirty in the morning? And they said, Oh, a very special person is coming. And, um, and of course that was Bush. And, um, then Bush sent, um, he had, you know, an aide that came around beforehand and took down information and and kind of explained what the visit would be like. So, so it was the aide came and it was me and my um, my longtime boyfriend Tom and one of the nurses. And the aide was talking to us, telling us everything, and then got up and walked out. And and I looked over at Tom and I must have had kind of a smirk on my face because he was looking at me like, uh oh, and he turned to the nurse and he said, can we just knock her out? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was so afraid of what I would say. Um, so but the day came and I was obviously I was sitting on the bed and Bush plopped himself down next to me and and said, uh, so what happened to your eye? And I, and I said, uh, well, the retina came detached. He said, what happened to your arm? And I said, well, both those bones were shattered and some of the wrist bones were broken. What happened to your foot? I said, my heel bone was broken by shrapnel. And he said, oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. There's such just a good old boy. You know, it's actually the visit. You know, he as a human being sitting next to me he's not a bad person. He's, he's a real. He can be quite he, charming. He can be quite charming and he doesn't mean he, he never meant, he never meant to make such a mess. I think yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think he ever, you know, he, he didn't, his intentions were not bad anyway. Anyway, then when he walked out, my boyfriend and I both leaned towards each other with our eyes really wide and at the same time said, his head is so big. <laughs> his head is really big for, for the size of his body, which we, we still think is hilarious. But yeah, that's, that's the explanation. And when my publisher wanted to put that on the back of the book, I said, please don't put that on the back of the book. There are people who will not buy that book with his picture on the back and they the the publishers are they're from a different part of the country and i think that they thought that honestly thought that that would sell a lot of books so it was interesting but <laughs> that's what that's doing there <laughs> right okay well we've been talking about your book um application of impossible things and it's on amazon and can people get it other places uh i think that you can go to your small local bookstore and have them order it. That's always nice to support, you know, local bookstores. Um, I don't know. You, I don't know if you have Barnes and Noble over there. I think you can get it at Barnes and Noble here in the U S but I'm not sure where else. Yeah. Do you have any plans to write more? I do. Yes. It's one of my assignments that I gave myself this year because I've been putting it off, but yeah, I've got a couple other books in my head that I'd like to get written down so hopefully hopefully in the next couple of years there'll be more coming out yeah great thanks for asking <laughs> well thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast it's been a really fascinating conversation and i haven't gone into that much depth before about talking about these things well thanks for having me simon it's been fun talking with you and that was an interview with natalie sudman if you'd like to support the podcast you can go to patreon.com 
forward slash past lives podcast or click on the button on my homepage at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening.